Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, let's just let's just repeat hello and good morning for the first couple of minutes of the show. What do you think? Okay. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, good morning to you. Good morning and hello. And and hello. And good morning. And <laughs> Don Don, where's where's my call recorder? This is that's what the new show is called. Where's my call recorder? Where's my call recorder? Well, my my call recorder is in the lower left hand corner of my screen. <sighs> what is wrong with me? Well, I, I wouldn't know where your call recorder is. I feel like my call recorder is nowhere to be found. Even in window, we, we does we had this problem uh, last time. Yeah, didn't we? you know what I did? Went back to my old computer. Ah, and, and so last time I used a new computer, and thought, oh, well, call recorder's not there because I'm an idiot. You didn't install it, right? But this is the machine that we have recorded multiple. Uh, l- let me let me reiterate that multiple uh, um, shows with. Mm. Where is it? Well, uh, I'm I'm recording, so well. Hopefully, our lack of redundancy doesn't come back to uh, to bite us, to bite me in in the butt, as they say. <laughs> Is Are that we what they say? Can we say that? I think we can say butt. <laughs> but well, it's good because we do <laughs> say butt a lot, but not related to uh, anatomy. Uh, right, the buttocks, as they say. Uh, yes, the Botox. Yes, I think you're thinking of um, Clostridium botulinum. <laughs> oh, it's the morning. This is what happens. It's a Monday morning. It's a Monday morning. TGIM. <laughs> are we? Are we a morning? Are we a morning show now? Is this a radio show? Hey, welcome to uh, Food Safety Talk. Uh, Collars. We need. We need way more silly nicknames and um, goofy sound effects. Wow, wow. It's true. We do need. Uh, can you be? Ace and I'll be <laughs> and I'll be lefty. Ace, this is the ace. it's the ace, ace and lefty show, and that's and that's really confusing because I'm left-handed, well, and I'm right, and you're right-handed, but we'll call you lefty. Yeah, and it's I'll be iron, ace. Sure, right? that's that, that's what uh, that's that's how people would uh, would see that. That's why you would do that. Right, exactly. Just to mix it up and throw people off. Yeah, like uh, t- calling a real tall guy shorty. Shorty, right. <laughs> Hey Shorty, come over here. Uh, oh man, there's a there's a because we because it's only been um, uh, less than three minutes. We have to include a wire reference. There, that that's actually a plot point in in an episode of The Wire, where they where there's a guy named uh, Little Somebody. That's right, um, and he's big. Um, little, that's right. He and but he's a I mean a, a recurring character, right? Like, doesn't he? Yeah. Isn't he around at the end of the show? Yeah, well, he's he's certainly in ep, uh, season four, which is where I've I've been watching, although not not recently. He, um, uh, I still can't get Danny to to join in. Like, I, and it's and it's almost a weekly thing where we'll finish a show, um, and I'll say, oh, you know, we should watch The Wire now. <laughs> Have you, so I don't I, even try that anymore. It's just I know I know where our our my tastes intersect with Kristen's taste, and I just I just I'm just good with that. Well, good. Oh, I walked away from my microphone for a second. I had to get my coffee. Um, have you watched uh, um, Undeclared? Have not. It's a uh, Judd Apatow 
show back back in the day, like from 2000. And it had, I think, 17 episodes on Fox, and then it was canceled. But um, it, it, there are some really great guest stars like Amy Poehler um, from, from Saturday Night Live before she was really Amy Poehler from Saturday Night Live and then uh, Parks and Recreation. Um, unless, unless they were on Saturday Night Live, like – Bef- uh, at or before the time of Eddie Murphy, <laughs> I'm afraid my my SNL catalog is uh, old but not deep. I guess is how you would say that. Well, I, okay, but <laughs> um, have you have you seen Parks and Recreation? You know my my brother and and his wife watch that show. So I see Parks and Recreation probably two or three times a year when we're visiting my uh my family. I think you would like it. I I enjoy it, but yeah. again, it's one of those things where it would probably be a show that I would watch and and Kristen's been there and and seen it at at uh at my brother's house and it just doesn't doesn't do it for her and so i already have too many things too many shows that i have to watch like by myself when i'm traveling like mostly the wire right um you know and i'm not even keeping up with that so uh not even not not to mention um you know uh canadian shows about uh television that you've uh you've shared with me that that i've i've given up on watching etc uh, etc et so the new, you're you're referring to the newsroom that the would be the, that would be the newsroom the, <laughs> for the, those playing at home exactly uh, going back to uh a, a episode i always just pick an episode number like a long time <laughs> ago going back to uh, episode uh, fst uh, 17 hey uh, speaking of episodes we're old we are we're, we're 60 Oh, we're we're in um, we're in our golden years, as they say. We is that just, what they say? Yeah, we just received a um, an AARP card in the mail. <laughs> oh shoot! I I uh, I was getting the, I'm I get those now. I'm I'm I turned fifty. I turned fifty a few years ago, and they will not stop sending me those. And I I'm almost to the point where I'll, they're just they've worn me down. So you're in. I, well, not yet, but I feel like one or two more, one or two more cards on top of the two dozen they've already sent me, and I might just cave. Well, it, with your AARP card, um, admittedly, I don't know much about it, but I assume that on Tuesdays you would get a five percent discount at uh, drugstores. Uh, <laughs> you would get um, uh, cheaper uh, matinee tickets for um, <laughs> for movies. Uh, I know these are things that I know from my dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, who is so? There's no. I, I guess there's probably a Canadian version of the AARP. I think the, they call it CAARP or CARP. CARP. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 known affectionately as CARP. Um, he, uh, he, he turned, he's 60, um, 65 right now. And so five years ago he retired, uh, uh, from being an elementary school teacher and, uh, he was at 60 and was like super excited about the discounts that he would get and, and plan as a, as a retired dude, he plans a lot of his week around, you know, oh, I can go to the bulk food store and get 5% off on it. As long as it's between, you know, noon and, and three on Wednesday. So it's like in his schedule. It's awesome. Uh, it's that, that is that is delightful, <laughs> hilarious, and at the same time, very troubling to me. 
It's it's all in our future. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I feel like we've talked about this before that your that your dad uh, was an elementary school teacher because we we I've also shared that my mom was right. was a kindergarten teacher. But and your my recollection though is your dad taught an older grade. Is that right? He did. Yeah, he was a um, he was at a small um, rural school for the last fifteen years or so of his career, and so he taught phys ed for all the grades. Um, pretty much. Uh, I mean, there was only 99 kids or, you know, something like that, uh, a few of the years. So, so we had these small classrooms and he would just teach gym. Uh, and then, uh, he, he uh, taught, um, for the most part, uh, fourth grade and fifth grade. Mm. Um, and you know, some, some combination of those two over, over his time. And, and what subjects or only physical? Uh, no, all of them. So, oh wow, because yeah. it was yeah. a small school. Yeah, small school. So he did um, everything. I mean, other than French, um, he's not uh, he's not the most uh, wow. prolific. So he's he's pretty much an expert in everything. Yes. that a fourth or a fifth grade kid would want to know. Yeah, science <laughs> exactly. He he could make uh, girls. girls. I guess fourth, fourth, fifth grade. You're probably not interested in girls. Yeah, but I, he he did uh, teach sex, sex ed. ed? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's uh, yeah had had all those uh, all those talents. Um, he his big thing. Um, he really liked history. I mean, his mm. when he went to to university he was he took history and um, and he. Back back in the day, it wasn't required to have a undergraduate degree to go to teachers college in Ontario. So he he started a year um, when he was nineteen at the University of Toronto and and took history and then had this opportunity like saw some posting for become a, a gym teacher and so he would, he just went to teachers college for a year and then then went back when I was um, I guess twelve or thirteen years old. He went back and finished his bachelor's degree at Queen's University, all in history and psychology. So he's a, he's a history dude. He loves um, he's all about like medieval times, mm. not b- both the restaurant experience <laughs> as well as the subject area. He uh, that, that's his thing. And he my my grandmother, my mom's mom. Um, was a, a sewer, like a you know, really handy crafts, crafts person. And every year my dad, as part of his medieval unit or every other year, wherever it fell in the, in the curriculum, um, he would host a school-wide um, feast, King's Feast, you know, with then it would be all medieval. And, and my grandmother made him this like King's robe and crown. And my dad, like, it's it's kind of hilarious because <laughs> I think he still wears it now. <laughs> when he goes, but, to but the only room. on Tuesdays between two and three. <laughs> exactly, exactly. With his carp card. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, that's delightful. Well, it is. It is, and it's it's cool. We're talking about this because tomorrow uh, I'm on my way to to ah, go see him to go spend mm-hmm. a week. Cool. Uh, week yeah, up up in in the Northlands, um, where where they got an inch and a half of snow last Monday. Oh man! But uh, it should be it should be fun. My dad actually, I, I spoke with him yesterday, and he told me to bring my golf clubs because um, there are six holes open at the local Port Hope Golf and Country Club. Um, six out of eighteen, which is a very odd number. Hmm. And it, and is it and and that's because the other ones are snowed in or yeah they're too wet they're too low. wet okay yeah yeah where where uh, where I grew up it's right beside Lake Ontario like like the house that I grew up in um, was probably half a mile from the lake uh, up on a hill so we're in the lower areas near the lake it stays pretty wet um, oh actually this is I mean this is great this is, uh, this is I don't know what we call this it's not follow up it's uh, 
Uh, it's kind of a prequel to the follow-up for <laughs> oh, episode excellent. 51. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm setting the stage. So so next next Saturday, when I'm in, in Port Hope, uh, there is – and we will absolutely link to this in show notes. Um, there is a, a race, a, a, a water race called Float Your Fanny Down the Ganny. We talked about this on the show before. We have, we have, and I'm going to it next week. Oh, excellent! Yeah, it's uh, um, the Ganaraska River flooded in 1981, and to com- commemorate that flood, which almost destroyed this, um, many of the buildings in the the downtown core of the, the town that I grew up in, um, they've they've held this uh, this race, and and our good friend Gordon Hayburn went with us one time. Oh, wow! Yeah, back before he moved to Canada, he happened to be uh, oh. visiting, and uh, it was the weekend that it was on, so I took him out and. And he thought, um, and as only Gordon can, thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. <laughs> in a, in a, I think, ironic way. <laughs> well, you know, th- this is. Uh, I have. Don't, I'm looking at looking at the website right now, and um, <clears throat> this is reminiscent of when when my sons and I went to Philmont. Um, Scout Ranch in New Mexico, and we did whitewater rafting, although this looks a little bit tamer. But this also makes me think there is a. <clears throat> A similar event. I don't think it's flood commemorative related, but um, a similar event uh, that they do on the Chattahoochee around Atlanta, where everybody um, gets uh, gets coolers of beer and boats and and just basically floats around the city of Atlanta. But uh, uh, this looks like a lot of fun from the website. Yeah, it's it'll it should be it should be cool. It's the first time we've ever taken our boys, so hopefully. Oh, awesome! They should be really into it. Oh yeah. Good, well, good be, times. Good and, and, it, and I mean, literally, is the largest weekend of the year uh, in Port Hope. Other than it rivals the opening of Fishing Weekend, which was the the night before. Uh, I guess uh, March thirty first. The fishing season opens on on April first, and so um, when I was growing up, and I'm, I'm sure still now. It was this like everyone camps out and drinks and and then you drop your line in at midnight and oh because because night. the season's open right yeah, yeah. season's open which yeah. I, I have ever never I'm not really a fisherman hmm. um, I never I like never went I I don't know anything about exactly what happened other than the crazy stuff that that I heard on the Monday morning I guess it's like not it's the weekend like the Friday night before the first of or after the first of April, I don't know. Mm. I'll get, I'm sure I'm getting it all wrong. And and just to, just to give people perspective, this is the biggest event of the year in this town in Canada. That's about sixteen thousand people. So. Yes, yes, <laughs> we'll, the biggest thing. We'll, exactly. we'll we'll link to uh, we'll link to the Float Your Fanny webpage. <clears throat> we'll link to uh, Port Hope, Ontario, Wikipedia, um, and. Uh, I, you know, I used that I used that line the other day in a university biosafety meeting um, because somebody was uh, so um, the as 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 you know, Ben, Wikipedia is never wrong, right? Um, and and uh, I had to do a review of this protocol, this university. This so I sit on the university biosafety committee just to try to bring it back to at least microbiology a tiny bit here. Um, and so by sitting on that committee, I have to review proposals for anybody that wants to work with recombinant DNA or anything. I mean, and obviously my er, er, my specific area of expertise is very narrow, focused on microbial food safety. But, you know, I understand risk and risk assessment. And so for some reason, I think basically my predecessor, Tom Montville, said, I don't want to be on this committee anymore, Don, but you should be on it. And then I was on it. Um, Welcome but, to the uh, committee. Yeah, but but I had to review this proposal about like – 
I, I said in this I – I don't even – I don't remember the specifics. But I said basically there's three things about this proposal I don't understand, um, uh, and, and they, they're all contained in the title. <laughs> and so I looked up the three words in the title of the proposal I didn't understand, and I said and, – uh, and so my understanding of this proposal is this is – they're going to do this and this and this. And, uh, and, and I, know, I, I know this because I, I learned all this information from Wikipedia, which is never wrong. And then I paused, and then they chuckled. The people in the room chuckled. Um, which I feel is it's very important to tell people when you're about to say something from Wikipedia that Wikipedia is never wrong because they'll either number one they'll get the irony <laughs> or or number two they'll just believe you they'll nod <laughs> exactly right. nod knowingly right. yeah yeah it's never wrong and and I'm I, I kind of am in both camps on that <laughs> mm-hmm. I I often exactly yeah it, it, it's one of those. Um, I'm sure there's some cultural term for this, but it's one of those things that has actually morphed into itself. Like, like it used to be back in the day, the Wikipedia, yo, oh, anybody can edit it, and it's a bunch of crap. And then it, it, you know, the um, the communities around you know specific issues or whatever have really taken over and, and made sure that it's as consistent as possible. So it's like it, it is becoming it. It's like um, it's like how Matthew McConaughey has morphed into his character from Dazed and Confused. Speaking of Homework uh-huh. follow up. Uh-huh. Did you go? Did you go watch that movie that I told you to go watch? Oh, uh, was that homework? It was. So you failed. Ugh, it's all I right. failed. But I, 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 I need to. I didn't write it down because I don't even remember, Professor, that you assigned that. I so did. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that you just imagined that. Who's sleeping in class? That's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm full of weird stories today, but I had it. I, I there is a doozy coming up. I cannot wait. <laughs> well, all right. Here's here's one before I get to the doozy that I uh, I've texted you about. Um, I uh, when I was in in second year university, I guess in uh, American terms, I was a sophomore. Uh, I took a class called uh, statistics for the bioscientists or sciences. Not for the scientists, the sciences. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my, my oh, roommate. Oh, you know what? Wait a minute. Now, I'm looking at this. I think I did see this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> I, but like a long time ago. Yeah, well, watch it again. Okay, all right. I'm writing it down. Wait, hold on. <laughs> because I, that was the conversation we had. Okay. Was that it stands up and I had watched it on a, on a show or on a plane and it's and it's phenomenal. Oh, okay, all right. We were talking about McConaughey. And so, anyway. All right. Um, so I had this class. Um, with, Wait, are you uh, sure that was on a podcast with me? I don't know. I've told someone to watch it. I just okay. pretend it was you. Okay. All right. It was, I don't podcast cheat, Don. You're the podcast cheater. I'm, I'm Oh, I sit- think you've had your fair flings, <laughs> fair share flings. I, I sit at home, just wait up at, late at night for you <laughs> just to make sure you get home safe after your podcast gallivanting. So, so let me finish my story. Um, so, so I had this class with JJ Hubert, who is this statistics guy, and my my roommate Owen, uh, who Owen Gottschalk, um, is uh, it lives in Halifax now. I haven't talked to him for a while, but he and I went to this class, and, and we were. It was one of these things where we had stayed up late to do an assignment or something, and and Owen um, fell asleep in class and was sitting beside me, and JJ. Um, sort of yells out, this is a class of like 70 or 80 students, and he yells out to me, hey, wake that guy up. And I was like, oh, damn. I was so bad, so mad that I'm now sitting beside this person I'm trying, and who I happen to know really well, and I'm like immediately trying to distance myself from him like I don't know him. I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> 
oh, what, what guy? And he's like, the guy who's sitting beside you, he's asleep. So I wake up Owen, shake him, and Owen sort of turns at me and and is like, what? Why are you waking me up? What's going on? And I'm like, he point it in front of the class, and the instructor says, hey, um, how would you like it if you went to the bar and fell asleep while you were talking, or and you were talking to a, a, a girl, and she fell asleep while you were talking to her. <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, you know, when you're in that woken up, he's like, I, I wouldn't like that. He goes, no, so stay awake in my class. <laughs> uh, I've never used that, but I like I like that idea. Um, so here's the since we we um, pumped it up a little bit. I texted you yesterday morning yes. um, about a dream that I had. Yes. And, and that that was weird. We were texting ab- about something else, I think. And then I, I told you um, something else happened. I had a bizarre dream. And it's about uh, a topic that we've talked about on, on the show quite a bit, the Conference for Food Protection, mm-hmm. which you've been very uh, involved with over the last, I, I'm going to guess, say 12 years. Six times. Mm, yeah, probably closer to four, but I'd have to look at my CV to be sure. But yes, good. So you're you're the, they know they know you. They know yeah. me. I've been talking it up. I've been promoting it. There's not enough academics involved. So yes, I've been talking it up, telling people how fantastic this conference is for for quite some time now. Yes, and and have hooked me on it for for a couple of reasons. So um, this is a it's a group out of. I, I've used this, uh, this I guess, anecdote a few times. Out of all of the lawmaking that happens around food safety, um, this seems to be the most, like, robust, democratic, let's throw all of our science on the table and, and, and actually make some recommendations to FDA process. Like, no other group has something like this. And I keep saying that, but you tell me that there's someone else that does something like this. I think, well, there's this, a, is, this, this is our play on this. Yeah. Well, yeah. there, <laughs> there are, there are two other groups that are also administered through the US FDA. One is the interstate shellfish right. shippers, something, something a name. I don't quite exactly ever get right. And then the other one is the pasteurized milk ordinance. Um, but I think that the PMO is a little bit more, um, ossified, um, Whereas the Conference for Food Protection does seem to be quite nimble and quite flexible, and it really is, um, and you know, and, and of course, both regulatory agencies in the U.S. U.S. USDA and FDA do have to go through um, when they issue rules. They have a proposed rule. They have a comment period. They have comments come in. They have to respond to those comments in their final rule or their tentative uh, tentative final rule. So there is that iteration, but it's basically just one iteration cycle, whereas the Conference for Food Protection is essentially continuously iterating every two years um, and in in between those two years, too, in terms of assigning committees. And it really is much more – potentially much more democratic and it really does build consensus among regulators and not and not just federal regulators, right? It's state and local right. regulators, uh, the industry, all aspects of the industry and then a, a couple of academics as well. So it really is an amazing thing. And, and it's – you know, as we've gone through the the Food Safety Modernization Act process here over the last five years, um, it's one model, although I've not been there yet to see it in action, but knowing about it and reading about it and, and talking to you about it, it's one model that I've pointed to for both the produce rule, um, you know, uh, that comes out 
and the um, and the preventive control rule uh, as having some sort of standardized way to revisit these things and, and as you said build consensus get get regulators um the industry who who often brings um you know really nice um a, a, after reading some of the historic uh issues that are presented really nice um reasoned out issues and say look here's the science here's the state of uh, of what we know in the evidence we really need to revisit this specific term this specific rule whatever it is um, and I think it's a it's a really good model uh, for for uh, for for those other rules uh, as we go forward, um, because it, as as there as with anything um, regulatory wise, this this actually and again I haven't been yet, but it it really kind of demystifies the process of how how FDA arrives at some of their their decisions, like that this conference happens, that everything is available online, that the industry can can refute, bring it up, but it's not in a in an ad hoc kind of way. It's it's really it's scheduled and, and there are these great iterations. I really um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, it is if you are at all interested in policy and how policy gets made, um, both the good and the bad and the ugly, for for lack of a better um, uh, cliche, um, it really is an interesting process. I mean, it 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 really it has elements of the smoke filled room, but it has has elements of democracy, and there is some there is some uh, there's caucusing that happens where like the industry people go into a caucus and no one else is allowed and the government people go into a caucus and no one else is allowed and the academics have a caucus and no one really cares. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I, look, uh, I look forward to that one. <laughs> yeah. We basically just sort of sit around and talk about where we're going to go to the bar. Uh, that, what should we have for dinner tonight, guys? Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, but, but I mean, it, it is, and I'm really sorry this year that I am going to miss it. Um, that, I mean, there are people that I've, that have become friends that I have met through that conference that, uh, I am, I'm sorry that I won't, I won't be there this year. Well, and it's, and it's kind of a different crew, right? Like that's, that's what I, what I gather this, this historically, this group, um, although we have crossover and there are people that, um, that we might see at, at IAFP, um, there are certain folks it's, you know, that are really active within the CFP world. Um, and, and, and so, so I, that I mean, that's the lead-in for the text that I sent you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this bizarre dream about going to CFP, and it was I, I walked into. You said you mentioned the smoke-filled rooms. I wa- it was very much like velvet walls <laughs> and and like a picture of dogs playing poker. poker. Yeah, yeah, like the whole the whole thing. Um, smoking jackets, cigars, and that was in, in my in my dream. That was what what CFP. That's where that's where the sausage was getting made, and um, and, and so this I, I felt like you know you go through these dreams and you have all these emotions, right? So I had this this emotion of I've been I've I've, I've been invited here. I've been someone has um, has vouched for me like in the Godfather kind of way and invited me into this smoke filled room, and and I better. I, I better perform, right? Like I, I, they're going to ask me some questions or want me to contribute. So I'm going to make sure that I'm not sitting back and, and just, um, you know, taking it all in. And, and so, so, so something comes up and I don't, I don't remember the particulars, but they asked me there, there was an issue that came up and they said, Oh, well, you know, Chapman, what do you think about this? And I started just rattling off questions. Like I was, I was super prepared. I had, um, 
my computer as as the conversation was going on, my computer's open and I'm Googling stuff. And I was like, well, what about this paper and this over here? And I, I, I'm sure that as we have this conversation, we'll, we'll take this into account. And then, um, I started kind of asking the the industry and the regulator people in, in, who are around this table, and it was this weird setup, which I'm sure is not anything like what what CFP is, but it was like all these round tables, and we were it was like speed dating almost. And so I started asking um, about they they had made a decision five years ago, and how did they make that decision? And and I re- read about what what it was in the the issue paper, but but the data wasn't there, and, and I was all over them. And then almost immediately, like we had lunch, and I came. You know, it's it's like a a, a, um, a situation where you go out into the hall and you fill up your your buffet um, uh, plate with with salad or or whatever, and there's soup. And and as I try to get back into the room, someone who I don't I don't recognize, but I clearly knew it was part of the the, the group that invited me, was like, um, look, they they had a conversation about you at lunch uh, as we were in line, and, and they don't want you to come back in here. <laughs> Like, you're what? one you're one shot yeah you know and you and you blew it by being a typical academic talking about the peer-reviewed research and the science exactly and they're like we just don't want we don't want that kind i don't think you understood what we were looking for here so um you know <laughs> when we were looking we were looking for somebody to rubber stamp it right whatever and so i i got i i mean really and this is what i sent you in the text i got like irate like and just started yelling about the establishment and this is the problem and i was like throwing my hands up and and they had this is this part i didn't text you but but it was <laughs> it somehow became a progressive meeting like we were off to another site after this and i had to get on a plane to fly to the next to the next <laughs> one but it was already in my plan so i was i was going there and and i decided well i'm just going to go i'm going to show up they've told me i can't be there but i need to be part of this and they will have to shut me out of this room if they don't want me around um, so and then and then I woke up. So oh. I think I got on the plane. But it's it's it, this is uh, I'm sure there's some uh, psychological situation that was going in my mind about, you know, this this meeting's a couple of weeks away and I've never been there before and I don't know what to expect. Um, and that clearly is where my subconscious was as I was sleeping on Sunday morning. Yes. Or, <laughs> yes. So so I'm sure it's going to be like not like that, but maybe a little like that. Well, the 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 room the room where the main uh, discussion the rooms the three council rooms where the discussion takes place will have the typical um, square you know tables in a square and you got a head the head table where the the chair and the vice chair and the parliamentarian sit and then people uh, around the other three sides of the table. And then around them are audience members in in chairs, and and everybody around the table has a microphone. And there's a two a couple of microphones for the audience members. Um, and it is very uh, is very Robert's rules. And people from the audience can't speak unless somebody from the table recognizes them. You know, like I recognize so and so to speak on such and such. And it's very it's very Robert's rules. Uh, I mean, I have never seen Robert's rules of order used so well and so just with such finesse as, as at that as at this meeting so again if that's the kind of thing that uh, gets your juices going in the morning uh you'll love it it's 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 at the one on the one hand it is can be totally exciting and exhilarating and at the other on the other hand it can make you just want to just 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 you know shoot your brains out because it's just like really 
Do we really, right. we really have to do this? But and of course, there's you know there's places where people get Robert's rules wrong, and then hilarity ensues. And and it, 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 the the thing is, it's fun. <clears throat> it's fun because everybody there really cares about food safety, right? And and they all they care about their cause, and you know they want the best possible outcome for their constituency, right? But at the yeah. same time, they they do want food to be safe but but there is a within the 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 constraints of okay we want food to be safe there's still plenty of room for politicking and jostling and sort of you know gaining the advantage and so i don't know it's just like like i said it's just i'm really i really regret that i'm not gonna if there's any way i could do it and still you know honor my commitments as iafp president i would do that but unfortunately it's just not possible but anyway i'm i'm really glad that you'll be there uh i think uh i think our our friend um uh, michelle daniluk should be there because it is in her backyard uh of course a friend of the podcast uh, donna Garrett will be there. She's one of the uh, she's a conference vice chair this year, so she's one of the top two people in the uh, in the whole thing. So, um, well, deep, deep South, deep, uh, South, will deep, be deep there. South will be there. So, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the f- uh, retail and food service folks that we know um, will will be there. So, yes, yeah, it, it should be good. And I'm so so. There's two reasons for me to go. Um, I, I've shared the the first just to see this process and, and hopefully get more engaged because I think it's um, worthwhile um, as you know as I go you know, into, into my career to, to be part of this. The second is, um, we, uh, you know, as I've shared with you, uh, on the podcast and off the podcast, we've been, uh, doing this project over the last year or so looking at consumer advisories and how they're translated or relayed to, um, individuals as they order undercooked hamburgers across the U S. And one of my maybe lofty and, and at this point, naive outputs, of that project, um, based on the, I think we've got about eighty percent of the data in now, and and looking at what we're seeing, um, uh, servers are not very good risk communicators. I mean, that's the kind of the the bottom line general statement um, that that we look hard over the next couple of years, once I know a little bit more about this process and, and have this data roll in um, and, and do the analysis on it with Ellen Thomas, my, my grad student, leading that charge up, that we may present something as, as an issue in, in 2016 on that, uh, on consumer advisories. And because what we're seeing is the, either the law or the, the guidance that's in the model food code is not good or the implementation of it's not good, but something um, probably needs to change on that. So, so that's kind of my, my, my thing is, well, this is the, if, if we see something that says we need to change our approach nationally from this, this is the group to do it with. This is where I, I want to learn how to, how to go through that process and, and see if, if we can um, uh, lead that, that charge going forward. Yep. And that you're in exactly the right place to make that happen. Well, cool. So, so yeah, that's uh, you know what I mean. On our schedule, I think we may not, um, we may or may not record a podcast in between now and then. But it's in a couple of weeks, so looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. So that was my dream. Hey, um, so we're we're forty thirty five minutes in, and we haven't done um, 
outbreak flashback. And I, I'm so glad that one of us, <laughs> who's not who's not me, prepared for this podcast because I didn't do. I I think you have you have far outshone me in in preparation this week. I, I added, I think one one thing uh, about a week ago, which was an article that I shared with you and Doug, and and Doug said, yeah, that's stupid risk communication stuff. That's risk communication 101. We already know that. Um, uh, but you, you, you've been on fire. You you added like half a dozen things, and you did outbreak flashback. And I think I think this would be, um, uh, you know, what you proposed to talk about is the sheets tomato salmonella outbreak, and I, it would be fantastic. I think that would be would be. It's a great it's a great topic. It's a it's a good one. Well, we have to. I mean, we can't really jump into it until we do the um, the the bump. Is that what it's called? The, sure. The, I don't know what the uh, maybe a bump is what In, you do before you in, go to intro. I guess it's an intro. All right. Do 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 outbreak flashback. Outbreak flashback. Woo. No one comments on that, by the way. I know. You. I know. So I, I mentioned that last time, but no one no one really has ever mentioned Yeah, you're, you know, positive or negative. Nope. Not <laughs> it's like they block it out. <laughs> it's like it put someone's in a trance. Um so yeah, you you mentioned the the outbreak. Um, I guess you know, the idea of outbreak flashback is for us to to look back uh, at outbreaks in a flash uh, and um, and pick ones that that we think are important or our listeners think of are important from um, changing the landscape of food safety or exemplifying something. And so our in our first. Uh, um, uh, iteration of this, we looked at the Castleberry's uh, uh, botulinum uh, outbreak, and uh, this week we're going to do, or this episode we'll do sheets, tomatoes, salmonella. This is um, one of the first outbreaks that I remember seeing and following from a risk communication standpoint, um, in, in where it all like unfolded in front of me. Um, you know, I, I went to, I, I started. Um, as an undergraduate looking at food safety stuff in, uh, in 2000 and then um, started my uh, graduate uh, program in 2001, right at the end of my master's work, uh, uh, this, and I happened to be working with tomato producers, this outbreak um, kind of exploded. And so um, going, going back to, uh, to a press release from FDA in July 23rd, 2004, um, FDA uh, said that they're investigating certain Roma tomatoes as a sort of, sort of foodborne out, out, uh, foodborne illness outbreaks in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and other mid-Atlantic states. Um, there were, uh, I mean, a large number. To, at, at this point, um, when this release came out, there were 289 cases of salmonella. Um, many of those, uh, as per FDA, um, their work with CDC and also the local uh, and state health departments, they linked this to uh, pre-sliced Roma tomatoes that were purchased at deli counters and Sheets gas stations between July 2nd and July 9th uh, of 2004. Um, and this this outbreak um, had some, some real interesting learning points uh, for me. It was... The first one that I can remember when um, the company that was associated with the outbreak took a, a risk communication um, uh, lesson out of the out of the, the playbook as opposed to the lawyer playbook, and and they. Um, the Sheets brothers. I mean, it's a family company that were a link to this. They they didn't um, 
do the contamination uh, in their restaurants or in any of their commissary type sites. Um, they purchase these pre-sliced. Uh, tomatoes from uh, a company called Coronet Foods, but Sheets didn't. They they did not go out and and sort of blame their suppliers. They immediately started going around the state um, of Pennsylvania and showing up at their own gas stations and talking to their customers about this and apologizing and saying we're going to get this right. Um, something's happened here that that some of this is our fault. We haven't done a good job uh, with our suppliers. I mean, they they, they from a legal standpoint of, of you know, or at least what people kind of think about it, they 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 broke some rules on admitting guilt, um, essentially. But they were yeah, they, that's something you're never supposed to do, right? Yeah, and and, and they did it as you're supposed to do it, and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and we say. You know, again, this all depends on your perspective, right? Correct. So, from from the perspective of your company lawyers, the company lawyers invariably, and again, if there's company lawyers out there that that think we're wrong, please write in and tell us about it. But my my perspective is, company lawyers will tell you never, ever, ever admit guilt. But from and this is again my my perspective as not a risk communicator, but as a guy who talks to risk communicators, that is. Uh, that is absolutely positively a good thing to do to say we are we screwed up we 're sorry and here 's what we 're going to do to fix it right and part of but part of that is admitting guilt right right and and you know we we had bill on bill marler on um, a couple episodes ago to to talk we didn 't get into this issue but i 've heard him talk about it um, at other times something like salmon Ellen and ready to eat food. Um, it's an adulterant, right? Like, so you sell it, you're automatically, um, you've automatically broken that, that law of selling adulterated foods. So, so not admitting it and it's found in your food doesn't, doesn't buy you anything. It doesn't. Um, and in fact, Bill, Bill's argument is it, it, it goes against you when you're talking, you know, if it ever goes to trial, you're talking to, um, a jury that, that you, you know, Denied it initially, basically, and then didn't. It waited for more information to come in. His his, his statements and, and things like this have been just come out and say you're going to pay all their um, everybody's victim or everyone who who got sick. You're going to pay their um, their uh, health costs, any of their hospital fees, and, and and you're sorry, and you're going to get to the bottom of the problem because that. Because I mean, his point is you're going to do that anyway. Anyway, so why not? Why <laughs> yeah. not spare everybody a lot of grief and and right and and since you're going to do it anyway, why not get the the points? You know, the brownie points. The yep. pers- the you know again from a very cynical perspective, why not get the good the goodwill that comes from admitting stuff that's that you're going to have to admit to anyway. Exactly, and it's not like it's in doubt, right? It's not like it's not like you think that there weren't, there wasn't salmonella in these tomatoes, right? There was. People got sick. The epidemiology indicates it. Yeah, and and the the really smart co- companies know that right away, right? Like the right. the ones that that have um, have someone on staff that that is a decision maker that that trusts epidemiology because they know how it works, and not that it's the you know sort of magical thing. That that um, uh, other individuals think think it is um, say that there is you know th- there are statistics and science behind this. It's it's pointing to our product. 
it's us. So we better go ahead and, and tell people that it's us and, and we're going to fix this or we're going to do whatever. It's not they're not battling that. Oh, maybe let's wait until the test results come in. Maybe it's not us. And if we say it's us, then then we're screwed at this point. I mean, as soon as a health authority links you to something, you're you're going to take a hit anyway. So you might as well stay out ahead of it. And Sheets did that. I, you know, like I said, other companies may have done this before, and and some have done it afterwards. But this outbreak is the first one that I remember thinking, man, they are doing everything from a communication standpoint correct. They they got out the day afterwards to not not in a press conference um, at their headquarters, but they actually went to the people that um, that are buying their stuff at, at gas stations and and started having conversations with them. There there was one I didn't put the link in here. Um, to, to show notes, but um, I'll have to see if I can dig it out. I use it in my slides. Some Someone said, um, you know, Mr. Sheets said uh, they, they were sorry and um, they're going to get to the bottom of this. And, and a customer was quoted as saying, oh, thanks, thanks so much. It's not so much of a big deal. I make myself sick from my own cooking all the time. <laughs> okay. And I was like, that's like, it's one of the greatest quotes ever. Like I get diarrhea from my own food all the time. Like I don't want to go to your restaurant, to your house for, for dinner then. Yeah. Um, but um, the the other thing that, that came out on this uh, did actually have a big play in, into some of the philosophy and, and the literature that, that I use to, to build um, uh, what I do today. Um, and, and it goes back to, we, you know, you and I have talked about the partnership for food safety education, um, you know, uh, quite a bit, uh, as we do the podcast and, and right. One of the things that the literature says is if you're going to try and communicate something, put it into context and give it in, in the, so that's what the, the communications literature says. So, so if you're going to tell somebody something, make sure it, it fits into what they do or what they are or, or what they, um, what they're encountering. And the, um, the behavior literature says, if you want somebody to change their behavior, you need to show that they have control and demonstrate to them that their action is, matters. So those two pieces, as you know, as, I, as, as this outbreak was unfolding, are kind of forefront in my mind because I'm doing this work for um, for graduate school and seeing this stuff. And the Partnership for Food Safety Education comes out and says, "This we'd like to take the opportunity during this outbreak to remind consumers." Um, uh, that food safety uh, is is important, and it's it's important for you to remember the four steps to make food safe. You know, I'm paraphrasing this, but th- but they basically said um, this this outbreak reminds us to cook, chill, clean, and separate. Which and Ben, can you explain for the listeners how? Each of those four steps would have prevented this outbreak? I cannot. <laughs> you cannot? I cannot. What kind of food safety expert are you, Ben? I, ca- I, I cannot, Don, and that that is the crux of that point, um, it, that in this outbreak, people bought pre-sliced tomatoes that were on sandwiches at a gas station. And they went in and they 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 add you know they asked somebody behind the the counter to make their, their sandwich up and put those tomatoes on. And, in fact, today at lunch – I'm going to go to uh, to Subway, uh, and I'm going to ask somebody to put pre-sliced tomatoes on my ham sandwich. Um, and I cannot effectively do anything to reduce the risk um, other than cook that sandwich. So I could have cooked it, mm-hmm. although that's probably not what people are going to do. 
I mean, probably that's, not. That's the yeah. That that's not what the product is advertised that as. Right. So, so it's you know, I, I could I have cleaned the salmonella off of my tomato doubtful. sliced tomato. Pretty doubtful. Yep. <laughs> uh, could I have cleaned something? Oh wait, cooked. Could I have not cross contaminated it? Well, I didn't do the cross contaminating. Coronet Foods did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, could I have? Is chilling going to matter? Probably not. Not the bacteria have already grown. You yeah, you can you can stop it from getting worse. If you took that sandwich yeah. and you stored it in your hot car until that evening, that would increase your risk. Yep. But but not. There's nothing you can do to reduce the risk. Right. And and I definitely uh, you know as I mentioned, I'm going to buy a sub sandwich. I'm not probably going to go cook that. And then there's also probably not going to be a thermometer at the microwave at the gas at the Cheats gas station. So so it was with this kind of ridiculous, silly statement that that we we have, I mean, for 10 years now called the Partnership for Food Safety Education out on and saying that you can't just take a situation and try and fit your message into that situation or as here's a learning here here's a uh, uh what do people like to say here's a um an, a learning opportunity a teaching opportunity a teachable well, really moment not. teachable, teachable moment. moment yeah it's really not because yeah. well you could do it but but you know yeah. it makes you look like an idiot to people <laughs> like us and it it probably i think consumers probably would look at that and say what? Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But um, wait. And at least intelligent consumers are going to look at that and say, okay, but this is like your. You, this does not connect, right? These th- exactly. these two things are not related. And and they, you know what? They had a chance. And this is um, a philosophical thing with the Partnership for Food Safety Education that I think goes back um, to '94. Uh, and and our friend Christine Bruin has has talked about this publicly and and also um, in meetings that I've been with been at when we talk about messages um, to consumers. They had a chance to talk about what a consumer could have done, and, and and they don't because it doesn't fit those four messages. And it's the fifth one that CDC and WHO show, and it's buy from safe suppliers or ask you know questions. Are you getting it from a source that knows how to handle food safety? And they could have talked about how the breakdown here is between Sheets and their supplier Coronet Foods or what Coronet Foods was doing. But that's not you know they they didn't do that and and then in fact they they haven't done that as we as we uh, have fast forwarded ten years in, into the um into the future. It's fast forwarding ten years into the future into present day. Well, and you know, since we're we're just piling on the partnership, let's keep piling on, right? I mean, I don't know how they're funded, but my sense is that they get industry funding. Yeah, and so I think it would be against. It would definitely be good for food safety, but it might not be good for membership. Like part of the reason why they get money from the industry is that they promise – and again, this is all speculation on my part. They promise not to say anything bad about anybody in the industry, which I can understand that. That's yep. a perspective. Um, it, in this particular case, it doesn't help food safety. It may harm food safety because if you have an opportunity to call out the bad actors – um, that's a, that's a good thing for the, and I'm assuming that most of the people who are, who, who are in the industry, who fund the partnership, um, 
are probably good actors, right? They're probably companies that are trying to do the right thing. So, uh, you know, that you can't you can't have it both ways, right? I mean, either you have to be true to what's the right thing to do for food safety, or you have to, you know, stay away from troublesome areas. But in that case, in that case, honestly, if you if you are really dedicated to promoting that particular perspective, then what you ought to do in this particular case is don't do anything. Don't say anything. Just be silent, right? Yeah, exactly. And even and even that, again, it's a teachable moment, but it's a teachable moment on the fifth point of the four points that, that you <laughs> yeah, built yeah. your platform on. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you know, we, we have a, an interesting situation if we look at, at, at the um, not-for-profit – public communication and the uh, the food safety advocacy groups where you would see someone like uh, CSPI would take that fifth point and run with it solely that that there are you know the, and in this case that's that's okay but it's you know so you have this intersect of um, of one group that says it's always some choice about the industry and, and choose safer foods uh, versus the other points of, well, what can you do in the home? And I don't, I mean, I, I, I guess sometimes that's a good situation where you've got some competition and, and differing views and, and it leads to some, you know, potential for confusion, but it also gives us a chance to, um, uh, you know, it's not all like sanitized, all one message, the same thing, everyone's saying the same thing, which makes people not trust people. Um, but, but it's, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, um, uh, where, where it's at. Um, CSPI, I mean, is, uh, we, I didn't put this in show notes, but they did put out a, um, a report, uh, last week, I guess it was on, uh, their outbreak alert. And, and they really focused this time on restaurant food safety, which was a, a restaurant related outbreaks. And they, you know, sort of picked apart the, uh, CDC's, um, food net, uh, and other surveillance and said, uh, restaurants are increasingly a source of, uh, of food safety problems. And, and Doug wrote something about this and, and I, you know, going back to some of the work that I did in, in my PhD, uh, around restaurants, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, that's not really news. We've known that for a long time and one year compared to the last 30 years or 20 years, it's not a big blip. And also, okay. So people get sick at a restaurant, but where did the problem happen? You know, like like cheats is a really good example here. Is that would, um, you know, nationally that would fall into food service, and people got sick at food service. But it's having a an ill food handler show up at a, at a, a sheets restaurant versus a supplier issue. It's the source attribution and the factors that went into that source attribution that mattered, not the source itself. And I'm sure I'm sounding like Mike Batts right now. We haven't mentioned him yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. And, and we'll link to, we'll link to the outbreak, uh, uh, Alert. Uh, out, oh, we'll link to Outbreak Alert Database, um, we'll, but we'll also link to Doug's post uh, entitled, I'm Barfing, Does It Matter Where Foodborne <laughs> Illness Happens? Um, which, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's great that CSPI is doing this, but I agree. I mean, I think that there's a little bit little bit different message there that, that Doug calls out, right? So, um, yes, it does, it does matter, uh, but... Um, it's it's a little more complicated than that, right? And that's okay, right? Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, yeah, right. That's the whole that's the whole message of this 
this podcast, right? It is. is it's complicated and that's okay. Right? And let's talk about exactly how it's complicated. If it was easy, we would have been done after four episodes. Well, Cook, clean, chill, separate. Boom, we're done. Done, right. <laughs> now that we've gotten to this this point where we've just kind of said, okay, well, that's what the podcast is about. Do we just end it here? <laughs> no, like, because it's, 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 this, it's complicated, it, Ben. We, it's complicated. It, it, it needs to be explained over and over again. <laughs> it's the long – this was the long game. This was 60 – it's uh, 60 episodes to get to the punchline. <laughs> uh, um. Just as I guess a kind of a segue um, from CSPI and Russ. Oh, wait, I have to get we have to get out the outro to disco. Um, the the uh, disco outro, <laughs> Dis- out- disco outbreak flashback. flashback. Um, do 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 outbreak flashbacks over. Added that in. I'm gonna put over on the that's nice. Um, yeah, because you got to be able to tell the intro from the outro. Yeah, well, where else will we tell um, David Tharp to to go to if he's going to listen? <laughs> well, it's like at fifty five forty seven, we ended out break flashback. David, you'll know you'll know because the outro is out. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so so moving moving on or moving deeper, I guess into the, into the restaurant thing. Um, uh, la- or this uh, last week um, in Canada, where I'm not sure if you know this, Don, but I'm from there. Um, hmm. No, which no, wait, let me wait now. Now let's see. Um, let's see. Is it? There's got to be a mnemonic for this. Um, Canada's up, Mexico's down. I don't. I, it's it's one of those neighboring countries, right? And we do. We do share a common border, is that right? I believe so. Um, but 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 then Alaska always confuses me. That's true. Do you think Sarah Palin can see Canada from her house? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends, depends which way she's looking. I guess yeah. I I'm not sure. Um, so so in Canada, where 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 I'm from, and we do all things maple syrupy. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not Canada. I'm pretty sure that's somewhere in the U.S., like New Hampshire or something. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Vermont. I, Vermont. Vermont maple syrup. That's it. I, the, they do have a lot of maple syrup there. In China. I'm pretty China. sure they have more than Canada. It's I, it's all it's it's how much is it better though? That's the thing. And in Canada, I'm sure they have more, and it's better. I think we use a lot of it. I think. I mean, if you. If you've ever been injured in in Canada, they pour maple syrup. They pour maple syrup on it to heal the wound. <laughs> it's um, the sugar does provide some of those opportunistic pathogens something to eat, but um, but it's it, I mean it, you smell fantastic. <laughs> uh, we, uh, but we we digress. Um, so so the the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the uh, CBC as it's known in Canada, home to Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and um, also a TV show called Marketplace, uh, did a, a a bit of an expose or an in-depth um, look at restaurant inspection in Canada, and had a um, a couple. Uh, I mean, probably ten stories, but also an hour-long uh, program last week on it, and. Um, I want to give a, a, sh- a couple of shout outs. I don't know if they're fans of the show or listen, but there are a couple of retired public health inspectors who I interacted with um, uh, or have interacted with in, when I was in Canada. And, and since then, uh, Dominic Lucido, who is from Vancouver Coastal Health um, uh, Unit or Authority or whatever they might be called. And also Jim Chan, who uh, is retired from uh, Toronto Public Health. They were kind of the, the stars of the show. 
um, and the centerpiece of the the articles. They um, it's kind of cool when you get uh, a couple of retired dudes who don't have the cleansing of their government anymore, and they can say different things. Oh, you mean like Carl Custer? Like Carl Custer? <laughs> yeah. The Jim Chan's are is Canada's Carl Custer. Um. That could be a show title, but uh, <laughs> but Carl's not on Twitter, true. I don't think. But well, Jim Chan is. J- Jim Chan is, and and is like the day he retired from Toronto Public Health became the largest Twitter user ever. Um, <laughs> it's it's weird. And I I've met I, I met Jim at a couple of conferences, and I wrote a a piece the day that he retired. Um, and and then all of a sudden we're like we're fast friends. We're we're best friends on, on in the Twitter sphere. Um, but anyway, Jim and, and, Do- and Dominic actually came and spoke at the Charlotte IAFP last year, uh, IFP meeting on um, preparing for the Olympics and mm. food safety in, in large events because he was instrumental. That was the, kind of the last thing that he did before he retired mm. was the 2010 Olympics in, in Vancouver. So these guys are cool, cool dudes. They get get interviewed um, a bunch. And Marketplace is, um, to, to keep this all very Sarah Palin-y, um, in in my experience, they're a, they're a gotcha program. Um, it's a, it's a show that um, you know that, that largely is based on exposés and, and exposés. I'm a fan of. I mean, I think that even though there are some liberties in in in, in television, you're trying to make a um, you have to be entertaining. You have to make a good story. They have a, a real serious place in changing how governments operate or changing how industry operates. Um, because even, even if 80% of it is, is correct and 20% has some narrative liberty to it, um, people get, uh, get very excited when, when there's an expose on TV. I think we can look back to, um, a lot of the food handler training, um, enforcement and inspection enforcement in the U S, uh, being linked to, uh, I think it was a 2020 piece back in 98, Diane Sawyer talking about how bad restaurant inspection was that really changed things. Um, market, so marketplace has a, a you know, it's, it's not my, my favorite program, um, cause they don't get things right, but it does have a place. And I like that. I like yeah. that that pushes people. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, just to think about exposés again. Um, and I may have mentioned this before, I always sort of mark the beginning of my career at Rutgers with a very important expose uh, that 60 Minutes did um, on Alar and Apples, which, you know, turned out to be maybe not such a big deal. But, boy, it sure got people all riled up about apple juice and, and how can the industry be giving, you know, this this toxin to our babies who, you know, this, these kids who drink a lot of apple juice. And so, um, yeah, I don't uh, I don't like the word expose and I don't like the connotations. Um, but I understand it's a part of television, and, and if it does good things, that's great. But, you know, a lot of times, as you said, there are a lot of times there are exposés that are really just, you know, get it wrong. But anyway. Yeah. And, and I, you know, this is the – for me where it kind of nets out is they may get it wrong, and we have to do some some fixing of that afterwards. But it, they they have the ability to raise issues to discussion point. That may not be may not have been there before. I um, when I when I was in um, in graduate school, I, and I've, I mean to today, and what we're going to talk about in a second is I've always been very interested in this area of disclosure of inspection reports and being able to show someone who's interested. Um, what the results are and, 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 you know, back, you look back 10 years ago, well, it's maybe 12 or, or 15 now. Um, the, the culture across North America was 
inspection is is public is not public. It's it's done with public dollars, but it's not really public information because the public won't understand it. And and an expose uh, of a local uh, done by a local uh, um, TV station in Los Angeles turned that that world um, and. Uh, it, it, that that expose really had nothing had, had little to do with um, inspection disclosure systems, but it had to do with the amount of inspections that LA County uh, health inspectors were carrying out and how they weren't meeting their mandate, and, and that um, the TV station had to go through the Freedom of Information Act to get that information and then put it on the air and say, look, you're not meeting your mandate. And and then they had hidden cameras and went in and showed some, um, you know, cockroaches and all the yuck factor stuff that really doesn't matter from public health, that that, that 20% or 30% that, that we've got to fix um, afterwards. Um, but but I, I did some, um, some interviews with those involved um, uh, around that, that issue and um, incorporated some of this into to, uh, a paper a while ago, but they um, they they basically said uh, you're talking to someone who is in city management um, or management of the public health um, branch of LA County said that TV show made the mayor call the health director and say fix this. How much money do you need? How much? Just get us off the front page. Get us off of, you know, we don't want the CBS affiliate doing their own thing five months from now. How do we need? How will we fix this? And the director of public health there would, had been lobbying for increased funds for inspectors and a mandatory food food handler training program and posting grades. I mean, it was very progressive, but but it made no headway until that that TV show came out, and then. You know, basically was able to to take eight or ten million dollars from the city budget or from the county budget, and then you know f- fixed it for the mayor, but also changed the way that um, that we do disclosure. I mean, it was so so. There are it to me often nets out in in the positive, even though they they get some things wrong. Well, and. Uh, yes, uh, on yes on all of that, and also um, see the wire, yes. <laughs> not, not food safety, okay, yes. but yes. expose things going wrong. I mean, my opinion, and I don't know, I don't know if I've always had this opinion, but I've certainly come to it over the last, uh, uh, you know, twenty five years of doing this this kind of stuff. Is if it's public money and it's being used to collect data, we should make the data public, and if people won't understand it, then we ought to find ways to help them understand it. And let's not worry about people misunderstanding it because it's, it's public dollars. It's public data. Um, it'll get sorted out. Right. And, right. and, and we've, we saw this, I, I again, uh, mentioned on earlier episodes of this podcast, I served on a national advisory, a national Academy of sciences committee that looked at making USDA FSIS restaurant results public. Um, that has not happened yet, but I still firmly believe that it, it ought to happen. We had people serving on that committee committee who've done research about release of restaurant inspection results. And we are seeing because restaurant inspections are local, um, kind of like with, uh, with other issues, raw milk, legalization of marijuana, we're seeing this play out locally around the country at gay marriage. I mean, we're, so we're seeing uh, change happen and, and we'll be able to evaluate the results of that change. So there are places where restaurant results are public and posted and, and we can get into scoring systems and all of that. But, but, you know, at least the, 
it's it's starting to happen, and and we'll see. I mean, maybe the pendulum will swing back the other way, but for now, it's swinging in the in direction of making more and more of this information public. Yeah, and and I'm I, I share that philosophy. I'm all I'm all for that, and I think that's where 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 I find a place in this world of being able to um, help translate what that information is showing and then letting people make a decision based on it. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And these, and so this, this marketplace thing is, is about that. I mean, in certain jurisdictions in Canada, um, like it is in the U S that's easy to get at this information and they took the publicly available stuff. And then in other places they had to go through the, um, uh, equivalent of the, of freedom of information. And I can't remember what it's called in Canada, um, to get at it, but they, they, they showed kind of all this stuff. And, um, and, and so, I mean, some of it was, was good, but some of it again, like is not risk factors, you know, subway restaurant in Calgary was cited by health inspectors three times for contaminated cleaning cloths. Okay. Well, that could, that could be a problem. What does that mean? What does contaminated cleaning cloths mean? Does that mean that the, uh, sanitizer bucket they were using was low, you know, had a, uh, low, um, concentration were they actually contaminated what do we what do we mean by that yeah or does it mean um, that they were covered in in uh, rat feces right right yeah, exactly it doesn't yeah um, it's not it's not descriptive enough right um amoxies in vancouver kept to keep food at safe temperatures during three consecutive inspections that seems like a problem that you know that what but it depends on what the food is it depends on uh on what it, if they're hot holding or, or well and it, it depends on what the temperature is and it depends on yeah. how long it's at that temperature if if the if the standard is 41 degrees fahrenheit and it was at 43 well okay probably not a big risk if the standard was 41 and they're keeping the food on the counter at 70 degrees all day long well now 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 pretty soon that ends adds up to real risk right exactly um and and you know another one to, that they pulled out here is a tim hortons in calgary was written up by inspectors five times for a fly infestation oh well i mean <laughs> and and what what kind of flies and how bad is a fly infestation and you know and what's the source what's the root right. cause there right yeah. well right obviously obviously there is some root cause that they like it could be drain flies right i mean uh, yeah. drain flies are a uh, perennial problem in food industries and but if you know uh, if you know where they're coming from, you can solve it. Now, I think we had a drain fly infestation at a Rutgers dining hall, and the solution, unfortunately, was to dig up the plumbing under the floors, right? Because yep. the, because that was the only way we were going to get rid of the infestation, and then and then redesign that plumbing or reinstall that plumbing. But but that's what it takes sometimes. Now, was that? Um, were the drain flies really that big a risk? Well, I don't know, but but at some point, if you have to solve the problem, that may be what's required. This is, I mean, this discussion that we're having is exactly, to me, the next progressive step is, okay, so you have an inspection score, you have some risk factors, they're all fairly, it's not that they're generic, it's just it doesn't tell you enough about the situation or enough about the solution to it or what someone's doing. And that's where we where we kind of go next. So here's my um as I was putting these notes together, as I've been thinking about this over the weekend, um, we here in Raleigh, we've got a um, one of our local TV stations, WRAL, every Friday at five thirty, does a you know five, channel five on your side. Here we've we've picked some local restaurant um, inspection uh, results and scores, and we're going to tell you about three or four of these restaurants. Some of them are really good, some of them are really bad, but they're putting information out there. Um, 
And I like that. What, I, what I'm going to pitch them, I mean, like seriously, as soon as we get done today, is I started crafting a, a message this morning to say, I'd love to come on and, and, and weekly talk about what the, what the factors are, what this is showing us. What's, the, what's that added level of information um, that, we can, that we can pull out? Because I think that's a really key spot for public health. Uh, folks, um, you know, extension folks like like you and I, to really start um, getting to that next step of the, hey, this is a little bit complicated. So let me tell you about the things that we don't know from this score that really are are, are the pieces that um, uh, that are important for us to to know about. And I don't know, you know, this is the this is me as an idea. I have no idea whether that makes good TV or not. I don't know if this is something that that they are going to be open to um, uh, being part of, but I think that that's you know as opposed to to me writing a fact sheet on how to read an inspection score. If I can if I can be part of that story that's already out there and, and go to where they're they're having that discussion, um, that might work. It might get people more information on how to make decisions. Well, and you know, no guts, no glory, right? If you don't try, you'll never know. I mean, yeah. you could you could not try, in which case you'll never know. You could try and fail, and they'll tell you it's not really good TV. In which case, you might go back and get the next good idea that is going to be good TV, or you could propose it, and they could say yes, and you could do it, and uh, it'll make a difference. So. Yeah, yeah. got to try it, right? And, and, and uh, even, you know, um, I thought about this uh, over the weekend as well. Is if they don't like it, maybe we'll just do it and put it on YouTube. You know, like, exactly. <laughs> that's the beauty of the, of the, the Internet and the world. Mm. Um, so my, my last little piece before we move away from this marketplace um, show uh, in, in Canada is that back when I was in grad school, I was on this show in a similar um, way. And, and I was doing, as I've shared with you and, and the listeners, um, I, I was looking at, um, food handler practices in, in restaurants and in institu- not restaurants, but institutional food service, um, in Canada, uh, as part of my graduate work. And, um, at the end of it, just, uh, in, um, 2008 in the fall, um, this, this story came up and, and I, I spent some time with the producers, uh, they came to my house and did an interview and then I met them at a coffee shop and on, in, in downtown Toronto. And the focus of that show was on coffee shop, um, uh, food safety because they, they had gone through the process of getting a bunch of inspection scores from lots of different places and didn't see enough that they could make a story about, but they did see enough in looking at places like um, uh, Tim Hortons and Coffee Time and Second Cup. These are all Canadian brands for, for coffee shops on uh, on their food handling practices. Um, so so it was a coffee shop, huh? It was. Was trouble brewing there, Ben? Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll we'll link to the uh, we'll link to the uh, the this website that that uh, Ben where where this this transcript uh, or this this script uh, thing is shown. Uh, it's entitled "Video Case Three Troubles Brewing." I, yes. I love that. I love that. And so here's here's the funny part about that that thing that we're going to link to. This morning, as I was pulling through the you know think of things about to talk about and was looking for stuff to add in the show notes, you knew what I was going to talk about. I just googled you know Chapman Coffee Time Food Safety, and and this thing came up. So someone took that episode and created a case study for a food handler training program at Algoma University, which is somewhere in Ontario, 
based on this this thing. So I cut and paste the text where it was like, Johnson meets up with Ben Chapman at coffee time. He's a food safety expert at the University of Guelph. He chews over some of the coffee time reports she has obtained. He says these things keep popping up over and over again at individual sites. And the same kinds of problems suggest that someone's not getting the message. Like someone watched this and, wrote and then that. wrote the script. Yeah. Bizarre. Or, yeah. That's that, was, great. that was really, really weird. But that was, I mean, that was it. Like, that was my, my point in this whole thing was um, picking one inspection report as a one-off and sh- it, to me is not as troubling as if, if some, an inspector walked into a Tim Hortons and saw that their refrigerator was registering, you know, 12 degrees Celsius four times in a row. Well, they've got a, there's a management problem there. They've been told not just internally but externally that this is a problem and they're not able to fix it. That's way different than, um, you know, something, some one-off where time isn't also included. Um, and so that was the, that, that's what came out of it. It was weird though. I, I mean, we, so, so CBC marketplace, um, set this up and, and said, okay, well, we've found a coffee time in, in, in Toronto that the owner is willing to let us use as the backdrop for our interview. We got to pay him a hundred bucks and we'll get his smoking room. And so we went in there and set up all these lights and it, and it faces, um, it was on Bloor, which is like, Times Square, basically, um, nice. in Toronto. Nice. Yeah. So there's like this whole, I mean, there's maybe 15 people just, it, it's like 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night because that was the time we could get in there. And and all these people are are like watching from the outside. I felt like I was on the Today Show or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Um, but anyway, it was, it, it, you know, it's interesting to think that um, this this happened six years ago. It's the same kind of um, thing. It, 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 it keeps going on. Um, and uh, and it was it was just odd to be to be part of one of these things um, in in the past. And I you know I used that in um, I, I got the like the raw footage as well as um, the final stuff from from that marketplace. And I've used it in in a communications class to show what it's like to do the media stuff. You know, someone's going to put you on TV. Um, you you know here are the questions that they ask, and this is the stuff they edit down, and, and here's the Here's the hour-long interview in the, in the the four eight-second sound bites. Sound that they bites, out yeah. Um, so it's it was it, it was kind of cool. Um, one other thing before we leave this was in that, and again, this isn't a by any means a scientific study, but it was very anecdotal. Um, they they showed that Coffee Time as a brand seemed across Canada to have more inspection infractions than the other four coffee um, shops that they use. I, you know, the, the, I know it was Tim Hortons and Second Cup, but I can't remember what the other ones were. And I, you know, I got to play a little bit with the with the producers, and they said, well, why do you think that might happen? I was like, I don't know. What you know? Tell me more about their um, the the brands and what they do. And I said, here, you know, here are some questions you can ask each of these individuals when you contact them. Um, one of them that I got them to ask them was, do they hire uh, some sort of a third party internal auditor to go out to their restaurants to to their coffee shops to do a monthly check? And you know, we've I, I've talked about working with EcoLab on some projects. Siliker um, does stuff like this. Johnson Diversity. Those are the kind of the, some of the bigger names here in the U.S. that that, that will provide this service. Um, on behalf of their clients. And Coffee Time was the only one of those four restaurants, the one that rose to the top in number of infractions, was the only one of the four that didn't have an outside person that came 
in and, and checked on up to make sure that they were up to the health department guide, guidelines. Now that, that's interesting, and we you know we love to bash third party audits on the on the podcast, right? We've talked about how they're not perfect, but boy, that sure is some, some telling information, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, and, I, and we've talked about before, and this was made me, make me think of the work that we do for Rutgers University dining halls, right? So we go out and we inspect the dining halls, uh, probably hit every dining hall, uh, every dining hall and every smaller cash operation once a month. And as I like to tell people, they get inspected once a year by the local public health folks. So are they better because we inspect them once a month? Probably, you know, well, another I mean, set of eyes. Yeah, I mean, another, another set of eyes and regular. And again, the point you were saying before about systematic problems, right? So we go into a place, we see food out of temperature control, we talk to the manager, they say uh, the, the, the refrigeration's broken on that unit, okay, you got to use ice until you get it fixed, we come back uh, in another month, or maybe we might even come back sooner if we know that it was a particularly bad, uh, you know, bad inspection result, and still not fixed. Okay, well now I get, I take action, not only copy the director, uh, not, not only the um, University Sanitary, and I copy the director of dining, and I say, hey, look, can you do something to expedite the work order to get this thing fixed, because yeah. this is now twice in a row. And, and again, we have that continuous, we have that continuous track record. And I think I've shared on the podcast too. We had another example where, um, one place was always just got fantastic scores. And then one summer for a couple of weeks, their scores went to hell and it turns out managers on vacation. Yep. So, so obviously it shows that that manager was doing a great job and maybe not such a great job at training her replacement for those two weeks that she went on vacation. But, you know, hey, uh, we found – we identified the problem. We took action. We moved we move forward. So, so those kind of things can be, can be helpful if they're done in the right way and they're used in the right way and they're not just a rubber stamp. Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Do you, um, do you – like have you published any of that stuff? Like I mean I know you've done some work um, – Evaluating specific things, but but if the, you know that body of of data collection on the audit stuff is that something that you? I don't think you have. Have you? No, we, you ha- have, we ha- No, we have. We haven't. And I would. I would love to. I would love to to talk about doing something with that. The yeah. problem is that the the audit. So we use a kind of a health department style inspection. It was modeled after, you know, some uh, health department forms that I that I got my my, my hands on uh, probably what uh, fourteen years ago or so, and we changed the the, the program to focus on on these different things. Um, and the problem is, is that most places, most of the time do really well. Like it, on on a numerical scale, they're getting you know ninety five, ninety eight percent. You know, yeah. passing. You know, uh, in terms of just a simple, you know, how many how many out of twenty questions did you did you do well on? So, but I mean, I, I would be happy to, to share that. It's all in a Microsoft Access database. We know location, we know time of inspection. You know, we know date of inspection, and we know the the inspection results. But yeah, I'd be happy to share. I'm not sure there's any value in it. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. What, it, what, yeah. What is more interesting is we also do temperature data. So we do a, a, a cold holding and hot holding temperature for all of those inspections. Um, and to me, that's a much more interesting data set. Um, but, but again, uh, haven't really done anything with it. Um, we published uh, uh, a couple of we, – we did something on, my, on the micro results. We published, I guess, about one, two, two papers, and we're working on a third I've got a graduate student looking at the the microbiology results, trying to set um, you know, microbial quality right. standards for produce, but but not, nothing on the inspection side. Um, and did you um, on the micro? Did you do one on the um, 
nozzles or something. Yeah, dispen- yeah. juice. Dis- well, yeah, a couple. Actually, maybe yes, yeah, maybe three three articles. So one on juice dispenser tips. So we found that uh, beverage. Dis- we we did for many years. Um, we did surface sampling and uh, published a paper in the mid '90s on that. And one of the worst surfaces is juice dispenser tips uh, or beverage dispenser tips, specifically juice, and that has to do with the way those things are designed. Um, and then I had a graduate student come and kind of do an in-depth micro. We actually moved and decommissioned orange juice dispenser to the lab, and we looked at um, the factors that influenced contamination on that. So, yeah, it's they're just, it's just a really bad design on those specifically. And, and if you do a really good job with cleaning, you can kind of get passable results. And then if you, if you service the machines and change out the internal tubing, that helps, but that's very expensive and the manufacturer doesn't like to do that. So yeah, it's really, it's really a, a cleanability and design issue more than anything else. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, I just, you know, where, where we started this conversation was that those extra set of eyes, I wonder if, if you could show in a control, like, like say at North Carolina state university, um, the, you know, you're you going in there and doing that audit is is essentially an intervention. You want, I wonder if that if you have higher scores uh, or better inspections. I well, guess higher scores is maybe not the best way to to do that, but from uh, the, a public health standpoint. Yeah. Well, what you could do is you could go, you could go to Freedom of Information Act request in New Brunswick and Piscataway, right. New Jersey. You could get all of the data from all of the inspections, and then you could compare Rutgers facilities versus uh, not Rutgers facilities, and you could see if they were. You know, different, and I suspect yeah. they would be, but that's a that's a, a lot of work to go and do that. And I've already got one Freedom of, Inf- Freedom of Information Act request project on my desk that I'm procrastinating, so I, I probably don't need another. <laughs> is that, that other one the the other one you're talking about? It's raw milk. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> sure is. Um, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so it's it's fascinating stuff. I mean, I've always uh, I'm um, I, I have had on my to-do list to thought about how to interact better with um with my folks here uh in our dining services like like what you're doing to to provide some sort of service um to them on with our expertise and, and really i mean not just to get the the graduate students and, and other students that are that are here some experience and what that looks like in, in real life yeah, um, and do you um do you know do you guys do your own food service or do you have a uh, outside company like Sodexo or somebody we, come in and do it. We do our own. Oh, we're, yeah, huh. we're one of the um, one of the few. Yeah, one of the few. And and I went through uh, uh, a situation a couple of years ago on where they had thought about moving it out, out you know, to Sodexo or um, going out of house, but then reaffirmed that they would do it in house. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, so, so we have, I mean, and you guys are also doing it in house, right? Like, yeah. And that's the yeah. only way that we yeah. could ever fund a project like this. <clears throat> yeah. And, and I think we have built a culture at the university that it, we will not outsource it. Um, uh, hopefully that, that will, uh, that culture will stay, yeah. um, as universities become more businesslike and as they look for ways to, uh, cut apparent costs. Uh, that's one, uh, that I think is always out there, but, um, yeah, hopefully it'll stay, uh, it, it'll stay in house because it, it really allows us to do this, this program, which is quite, quite unique. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. If you ever want me to come and talk to the folks at NC state and I could, you know, I could certainly, I know the Rutgers director of dining quite well. If, if it would help for to have him talk to his pet counterpart at NC state, and maybe we could set up, uh, some kind of a, some kind of a meeting, I'd be happy to do that. 
Yeah, and I was uh, let's let's park that into uh, put that in the parking lot. Yeah, put that in the parking lot in okay. the uh, in the Roberts Rules parking lot. I All recognize right. you uh, as coming here. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, it's a matter maybe of even figuring out how to do it um, on the cheap. Where I'm in in town for another meeting, yeah. and we just you know, you just got to get uh, people in the room, and I can talk about our program and how it works and. See, awesome. see if anything happens. If, if nothing else, uh, you know, it's another one-line uh, invited presentation on my CV because exactly. God knows I need more of those. You more, yeah, you need more of that. It's gonna. That's really going to help you with tenure. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Get, get those on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I want to I switch gears a little bit. Okay. Um, I have I – have, because you gave me a test last time. Oh, you're going to give me a test. I'm going to give you a test, but it's not really – it's not, not in the same vein um, as, your, <laughs> as your test. Okay. Mine, mine is more of a I'd – like, I'd like to get your thoughts on, on some stuff, but I haven't given you the – I'm giving to you cold. Okay. Um, so there are both questions that I received um, from, uh, from folks about food safety stuff. And um, the one – the first one I'm going to start with uh, came from, from someone who works with um, uh, ready-to-eat uh, food businesses and also a little bit of processing. And uh, he, he writes, hi, Ben. I've got a client who wants to clean and sanitize using safe and natural products. They're currently using distilled white vinegar for this application, but they are winging it. Do you have any idea about dilution rates for sanitizing hard surfaces? And what would your suggestion be on if they're using it as a sanitizer in a third sink? So, Don, my test to you is what would you say to someone who, who does this? What, are your, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? Well, you know, I have, again, on my list of things that I would like to do someday, writing of a fact sheet. Um, and maybe even making it into kind of a web application with um, like chlorine concentrations for different sanitizing operations, right? Because it's it's all very confusing, and you can find some fact sheets on this. But they some measure it in teaspoons, and some you know, and sometimes the water is in gallons, sometimes it's in quarts, and then it matters whether it's a hard surface or this or that. And so I have I've sort of been collecting information, and it's sitting in a folder somewhere on my on my computer um, to kind of work that into something. But as part of that project, I I seem to remember looking for um, information on alternative sanitizers. And my recollection is is that vinegar is not a particularly good sanitizer. It's probably better than water alone, but it's but boy, man, there is nothing better than good old fashioned chlorine. And I know that there's consequences and, and downsides to all of to, to chlorine, and that's the reason why they don't use it in some countries in Europe because of you know chlorinated uh, hydrocarbon byproducts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, depending on what, so my first advice to the guy would be. Boy, I really don't recommend that you use vinegar. Um, that's the first re- yeah. recommendation. And the next one is yes, if you want to use something that's not chlorine, um, you know, go and talk to again, not to shill for Ecolab, who you know I'm on retainer for them as a consultant, so we'll put that out there. You know, not not to not to say go call your Ecolab representative and see what they recommend. But again, you know, Ecolab. Um, Johnson Diversity or whatever they're called these days. I think they may be changed, oh, sealed, but that's sealed, like sealed air, air, sealed air. Right. So, so go and talk to a sanitizer company and, uh, you know, or a couple sanitizer companies <clears throat> 
and tell them I want something that has that's you know got a green label or a clean label. Um, you know what's your what's your recommendation? But boy, vinegar that's that I I I'm not confident that's doing a good job. Uh, you passed. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I agree, agree with, uh, with everything that, um, that you mentioned the way that I, uh, approached it. Um, you know, Pete, our, our friend Pete Snyder does have a little bit of information on using vinegar as a sanitizer for cutting boards. Um, and it's, you know, as Pete, Pete has, you know, he shares a lot of data. It wasn't published anywhere. Um, or anything like that, but he, he was able to show that, as you said, it's a little bit better than water, um, and but it's not really great uh, from what I could gather, and it doesn't exist in any of the. Um, uh, the only place that FDA actually mentions it is in their. They have some guidance for fresh cut process uh, or fresh cut produce processors, and where they basically say it's not it's not good with any organic matter. And now, the more information that I did get from this individual was for a client who wants to do cold press juices, and they're going to sell them unpasteurized juices. They're going to bottle them, but sell them um, refrigerated, direct to consumer with a warning label. And I, I thought. Man, um, that especially um, so. My my answer is a little more um, detailed because of that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. yeah. That 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 type of product has historically been associated. um, One of the pathogens that I would worry about is an acid tolerant E. coli. And if you're going to use just a straight acid as your sanitizer, um, you that's probably not a good idea. um, Just for those that that type of project. Yep. Um, or process. Um, so, so that's what I, what, what I went with. And then I, I looked a little bit and I actually suggested iodine as a chlorine alternative. Um, cause it is, there is quite a bit of uh, data on it. It's not as, um, it, it, it the, you know, the, I'm sure they're, they're worried about the environmental aspects, but iodine's not as, uh, doesn't have the same kind of, uh, concerns on that side of things, but then I never heard back from them. So I don't know what they did. <laughs> Yeah. So there you go. Yep. Test number two. Okay. Question number I'm two. I'm ready. Let me let me find the question. It has to do with jam. Okay. Um, and here it is. A lady has been making raspberry freezer jam for 15 years. First, my editorial part. That seems like it's a long time to make a lot of jam. <laughs> I hope she took a break. <laughs> In September, she picked red raspberries two different times and made the jam two different times. She made the jam immediately when she got home because raspberries, quote, turned to mush so quickly. She followed the directions on sure gel, leaving the jam on the countertop for 24 hours before freezing. As she made the jam, she saw black seeds like she always does. When she opened every jar of the jam, she found that fruit fly larvae were on the top. She read that they lay their eggs inside raspberries. Her questions are, should she stop picking berries from this specific patch? If that patch has fruit flies every year, will it have them again? Will other patches around here have the fruit flies also? She also doesn't want to tell the grower because she doesn't want him to spray the berries. Um, and this question was posed to me as well as our um, uh, entomology specialist. So that's the, that's the framework for you. Okay. Um, what so how would you figure out whether this was an egg issue or a recipe issue? Well, first let me just say ew 
Yeah, it's awesome. Ew. <laughs> uh, throw it out. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't the question. That wasn't the question. Oh, yeah. damn. Um, you know, if she's been doing it for 15 years and she's never had a problem, I doubt it's a recipe issue. Um, I guess I would ask some more questions about, like, to what extent did she observe fruit flies when she was picking the berries? Um when she had them in her home, how, were they enclosed? Were they were they covered in any way? Um, I know, like in our house, we have a we compost our vegetable waste, and when it gets to be a certain time of the year, um, we get fruit flies. Right? I mean, they right. just come in in the vegetable waste, and um, the only solution is just to be absolutely scrupulous about <clears throat> excuse me getting rid of that. Uh, waste on a regular basis to break this, the breeding cycle for the fruit flies and, and, and making sure we don't leave, you know, uh, you know, stuff in the sink and, and, and take the compost out on a regular basis and then wash the, the compost bucket, um, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, if they're really fruit flies, I really don't think the grower is going to be doing anything to manage that problem, right? I mean, fruit, as I said, we, we regularly get an infestation in the summer months because it, you know, fruit flies are there, right? There's nothing, there's no chemical treatment you're going to do to control that. Um, and then I've forgotten the other questions. That's all right. That's good enough. Okay. Um, so I, um, I was, I am leery that this individual followed the sure gel recipe okay. uh, for freezer jam. Um, okay. And, and here's so, so when I got that question, I was like, okay, well, what is the sure gel recipe? Well, what you do is you take um, uh, three, uh, I think it's three cups of berries and you add in uh, three cups of sugar and you mush that, that together. It's a no cook. I mean, freezer jam is no cook, right? Cause you're going to just preserve it, but you're, or you're just using, sorry. Um, the freezer to, to preserve it. And, um, but what you do is, although it's no cook is you take the sure gel packet, either it's, um, liquid or powder and you put it into boiling water and then you add that boiling water mixture to that berry, um, you know, those three cups of berries. So you've got one cup of boiling water, three cups of berries that are, that are all at, the berries are at room temperature. Um, I think, and this is the, this is what we're testing I th- I think that 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 process should be enough to to heat those those berries um, above one twenty or one thirty, um, and that uh, so that was the conversation I had with the entomologist was how hot is it going to have to get to kill any eggs that might be in there, and why is it that this is you know I've, I've I've now done preservation for five and a half years, and it's not like uh, I have a career of, of this behind me. But it's enough to for me to think this is the first time I've ever heard of this. And it seems like what you know, flies would be a problem for for eggs, and this is a no cook process. And you know, what you know, what what about it is it that that might actually do some you know? Is there something here that uh, that that heat may may kill may make those eggs inactive? Um, and so that's so I. I I don't know uh, what that if the recipe if it's if it followed correctly what the temperature is. So I, I um, asked one of my asked my group and said, "Okay, who wants to do a little 
um, citizen science work here and find out what the temperature oh, that, gets to. That is so cool because that's what I was just going to suggest. It's easy enough to do, right? You buy yeah. a bunch of berries, you boil some water, you throw them together, you use your tip-sensitive digital thermometer, and boom, you have an answer, right? Exactly. So so Katrina Katrina Levine, who works for me, that's, that's exactly what she's doing. She went and bought some stuff. Um, uh, this weekend started it. Uh, and, uh, um, so we'll know in the next little while. Cause that's, I mean, to me, that was the thing that's like, I, you know what, I guess it seems like it should, but let's see if someone followed the recipe recipe incorrectly and they just melted or, you know, just dissolved, um, that, uh, uh, that stuff in, in, um, warm water and it might still dissolve. It's definitely not going to have any sort of heat effect. And yes, yeah, sitting those berries out, for um, 24 hours at room temperature might be a good uh, environment for them to um, to hatch and and have those uh, flower larvae there. So so that's my my hypo- my hypothesis is they didn't the individual didn't follow that recipe. Um, well, but or, I don't know yet. Yeah, you know, or maybe they did follow the recipe, but they didn't cover it. Right. So you know the absolutely. I mean, is to, I, fruit flies are famous for use in laboratories because they breed so fast. So what's the breeding cycle? Right. Can you yep. go from like let's say she followed the recipe correctly, but then didn't cover it? Is that enough time for fruit flies to get in to uh, to to lay their eggs for the eggs to hatch, and then for you to have more fruit flies or to have larvae within twenty four hours? And right. And, you know, again, that should be a knowable a knowable question yeah yeah totally um so yeah so there's those that was my test they weren't really tests but just two things that came up this week you passed though oh good job i'm I'm so glad i know you're you're thrilled i was i was worried man i I think you'd be gunning for me after last time no 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 that's not my style (laughs) (laughs) um cool hey well uh is there anything else you wanted to uh, wanted to chat about? I think uh, we got we got another call in uh, uh, ten minutes, so probably we got to wrap this up. I think we do. I think we have to wrap it up. Um, as always, this is great. Um, thanks, uh, thanks again for making time, and uh, uh, I enjoy. I enjoy. I always enjoy talking to you, Don. Oh, absolutely, Ben. Uh, even first thing on a Monday morning, it's uh, what a great way to start the week. Exactly. What a great way to start the week here on our morning show. And, hey. I, and, I, and I really I really appreciate you basically doing all the work this week to get us ready. I just had to show up and talk. So that's was very nice of you. I was a, very much a slacker um, uh, in, in getting anything done in prep for the today's show. Hey, um, I will I, I will show up as a slacker at some point in the future. So <laughs> it's a deal. A deal. All right. Well. <laughs> Depends on the time and how we're like how we're feeling. Yeah. You know, sometimes those night ones, I get a little tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the you know the early, I was up at quarter to six this morning and I was 
Yeah, you've been you've been kicking you've been kicking butt. You've been I know. You've been working hard and getting writing done and everything. Paper paper going in as in like as soon as we're done uh, our writing buddy stuff. Like uh, paper, yeah, being submitted, and I've got two more that I want to get done. I, my, I I've got so we had one that um, that went in, and I got the reviews back last week, and they were really good. Uh, so I'm I'm in like this groove of trying to get all these things that I've got data on out the door trying trying to write trying to get stuff done that's good um but that was awesome so yeah i had we had lots of stuff like we we didn't even get to the how politics makes makes a stupid part well but that you know doug doug wrote a good blog post on that so Uh, that was good um trying to think yeah i guess we got to everything oh yeah buzzfeed oh and washington post those were just like extras that if we needed to get angry at people, we could have yeah. done it. Um, do you think Star Wars will ever get to episode 61? I doubt it. Not in our lifetimes anyway. Doctor uh, it depends if you count the um, the cartoons, right? Yeah, Clone Wars. Clone Wars, right. I don't I, yeah. I, I don't even, I, I only know that from podcasting. I've well, never seen them or watched them or anything. I downloaded um, for our trip the Yoda Chronicles. For the boys to watch, okay, which is Lego Star Wars, and it's oh. three, three episodes of Yoda's Yoda's backstory. Nice, yeah. So that's gonna. Nice. I, well, I'm sure they'll watch. Speak, speaking of your boys, you have not showed them Adventure Time yet, have you? Have not. Have not shown them Adventure Time. Uh, I am now reading the Adventure Time comics at night. Um, they are really good. Oh, and speaking of other things that are really good, um, there is a, a very cool. Um, uh, game for the iPhone that is very popular that I learned about from uh, Merlin Mann, how I learned about many awesome things. Um, and it is called um, Monument Valley. Have you heard anything about this? No, I don't know anything about this. Oh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, it's uh, if you like uh, puzzle games, this is a puzzle game. Okay. Um, I do and like, it's, I... it's reminiscent of the... Um, uh, paintings of M or drawings of MC MC Escher. Ah, yes. Uh, and it is, uh, it is undescribably delightful. It is, it's expensive for an iPhone game. It's like, it's more than 99 cents. I think it might be three ninety nine. but it is, um, just, if you like, if you like puzzle games, you, you ne- your character never dies, right? You just get stuck and it's all about like moving and sliding and reasoning in spatial th- dimensions. Anyway, it's very cool. Cool. That's so, awesome. Uh, so I'll check I, that out. I will. I will uh, recommend that in uh, our after dark uh, uh, cultural follow up. Sweet. <laughs> Excellent. I uh, I'm going to uh, try to watch a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones while I'm in Canada. Very <laughs> That's good. My, That's my goal. That's my goal. Because I, I I get I succumb to the hype. I'm, it's maddening that people are all over Game of Thrones right now, and I'm not caught up. And I don't know. I want to be in there. I want to know what's going on. Yeah, so, I, I've, I have not. I've resisted the uh, desire to go and watch Game of Thrones. I, it's you know, it's like I don't. I don't need any more television to watch. I don't. I don't have time. Oh, I. But it's pretty. I, I, I need more. <laughs> I understand it's pretty cool. We are we are still we are wake, making our way once again through uh, old episodes of Mad About You, <laughs> which oh, is one wow. of Kristen's favorite shows. That is a good show. So anyway, enjoying that very much. Cool, cool. Well, we should probably call it a podcast. We should because we got to get on the phone with, uh, with the others. Others. The others. 
Uh, well, hey, that was awesome. So we got a date. We know what people are doing. We're good. We're good. Uh, I'll uh, I'll talk to you in in like a minute and a half. All right, <laughs> but That's... not on the podcast. Okay, sounds All good. Right. Okay, bye, Ben. Bye.